0: Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday Stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today. Whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM ninety-seven point five, we are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. Good morning. That's pretty pitiful. Good morning.
1: Welcome to Flat Creek Baptist Church. Are you excited we get to worship our Savior this morning? All right. Well, the few of you that are, let's stand up and sing, and the rest of you, y'all, come on and join us too. Let's sing this song about the day death was arrested.
0: seated at this time and let's go to the Lord in prayer together with that song fresh in our hearts it just reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1 and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And then verse 4 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Father, we come boldly into the throne room this morning to just say one thing. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross of Calvary. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that today there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And that our Savior lives. As I shared with a young lady yesterday, she was wanting to know, how how can I know for sure that Jesus is the only way? And I said, well, you can go to the tomb of Buddha. You can go to the tomb of Joseph Smith. You can go to the tomb of all these different people. You can visit their bones, but there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And the reason we have a living hope this morning is because our Savior lives. And we greatly rejoice today in knowing this Jesus. Father, even now, under the sound of my voice, whether it's in person, online, or listening on the radio, there might be one person, maybe ten, maybe many, that have never given their heart to you. And we want to make sure that today we always Keep before them the Lord Jesus Christ and always want to give an invitation that somebody might be saved today. In all things, Father, we want to give you the glory. Say thank you for Flat Creek Baptist Church. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Once again, let's give the Lord a big hand today. We are certainly so grateful for each person today who is here. Many of you might be here for the very first time. And if you are, we are Just so honored to have you uh, with us worshiping today. Uh, Inside the back of your pews, you're going to find a a little envelope holder and you're going to see a green card that says Connections Card. If you could fill that out for us, and on your way out the double doors, you're going to see a a connections tent set up. If you could just turn that in, that's our way to come alongside of you during the week, connect with you. Also, we have a gift for you for coming and being a part today, just a commemoration of you being a part of the worship service at Flat Creek Baptist today. And we're so thankful you're here. Hey, listen, real quick, two announcements. Number one, some of you remember last week, Brian Johnson, uh, who's one of the best Bible teachers you'll ever meet. Uh, Leads trips to Israel every year. Uh, He's leading a trip to Israel this coming spring and he's having an information meeting immediately following service today. So if you're interested in going to Israel next spring, Just stay back for a few moments. You'll have a little bit more information. Uh, Also, this afternoon at 5 p.m., we are having our regular scheduled business meeting. One important thing that we're going to be talking about in the business meeting tonight is the election of our new deacons. Um, I'm going to announce these five names now. If you're in the building, we'd ask you to stand. A lot of these guys were in the 830 service, so I don't know if there'll be any in here or not. Uh, But your elected deacons that will be officially uh, voted on tonight are Carrie Lawler, Mike Headman, Stan Smith Michael Turk who we will be ordaining and then also deacon emeritus mr. James Jackson if James if you'll stand so everybody can give you a big round of applause love mr. James and uh, praise God for his service as a deacon for many many years so if you come out tonight you can be a part of that vote listen guys we're gonna have a time of fellowship if you'll rise to your feet as we sing the wonderful song all creatures of our God and King shake the hands of them great message, isn't it? It's the only hope we all have. I want to invite you to stand and let's sing it together now. One last time, I cast my mind to Calvary. Praise the name of Jesus. I
1: cast my mind
0: Sing my throat clear out. I got no voice left, uh, man. Oh man, that was so good. Thank you, thank you, choir, brother Caleb, praise team. Uh, I tell you, it's the most dangerous thing on earth to put me in front of Brent Cochran when he's singing, because I try to out-sing him and I can't do it. But I'm trying, Brent, with all I got, man. I'm trying. Listen, kids, ages kindergarten through fifth grade, you can be dismissed at this time for children's church. Our uh, children's Director Ms. Breeze is here behind the piano And y'all can come this direction And we have uh, so many children here at Flat Creek A lot, were in the 830 service too And so it is just a blessing to see all those kids And they just getting on down there in a hurry That's up man Alright Here comes some more, they're still coming Praise God, amen, yeah, praise God Love seeing them all Listen, if you'll open your Bibles today to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Book of Romans, chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 20 and verse 21 as we continue walking through uh, just this amazing book of the Bible. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just amazing to me, Brother Caleb, two weeks ago, actually had to put today's service together, worship-wise. Ms. Linda, who was our secretary, she had to have surgery. And So she's been out of the office and so uh, to print the bulletins she had to have uh, all the information two weeks in advance and So Caleb just put together a service that uh, he felt might would fit where we are in the text of the book of Romans And it's just so amazing to me just how perfectly Everything just kind of comes together. Amen. Uh, God knew two weeks ago. What songs needed to be sung today Uh, as we come to Verse 20 and 21 today of the book of Romans chapter 5, I want to bring a message to you entitled, A Final Word on Justification. A Final Word on Justification. So if you're here for the very first time uh, here at Flag Creek, we just believe in the uh, expositional preaching of God's Word. So we just go verse by verse, word by word through books of the Bible. So if you're here for the first time, I don't want you to feel like you're going to get lost. Uh, You'll get caught up. And uh, it'll be a blessing to you. But we're going to come to this final word on justification today. So I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. He says, so the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I love how some Bible commentators, they say, as sin increased in number, grace abounded infinitely. Don't you love that? So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Back in the month of May, I preached a message on Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through verse 26. The message was entitled, Justification, the heart of the gospel and I told you that day that justification answers the question of Job found in the book that bears his name it's a question found in Job chapter 9 and verse number 2 the question is this how can a man be made right with God friends this is the aged old question of humanity As I said a few weeks ago, and I now say again, because of sin, there is a God-sized hole in the heart of every human being. There is a sense of separation in all of us, and there is a longing of the soul to be made right with God, to be at peace with God. But the question becomes, is there actually a way to be reconciled to God? And if there is a way to be reconciled to God, how? Does that actually take place? You might remember from that message a few months ago that I told you throughout all of human history, only two answers have been given as to how an individual can be reconciled to God. Either either salvation is a human achievement, meaning everything is dependent upon you, your works, your goodness, your righteousness. Or salvation is a divine accomplishment, meaning that God has made the way. Therefore, any effort on your part to pave another way is in vain. And friends, this is the difference between Christianity and every other major world religion. Christianity declares and affirms that salvation is a divine accomplishment. Whereas every other major world religion says, save yourself. But how that divine accomplishment is actually achieved is one of the great beauties of the gospel. Of course, we ask ourselves the question, how did God achieve the possibility to be saved? And if we ask that question this morning, you would answer that question by saying, well, of course, God achieved the possibility for people to be saved through the cross of Calvary. In the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has made the way. But you'll notice when I ask that question I ask it very intentionally how has God achieved the possibility for humanity to be saved you'll notice I inserted the word possibility you see here's the thing it is true that the possibility for all humanity to be saved is actually there however not all will be saved in order For a person to be saved or reconciled to God, they must hear the message of Christ and by faith take hold of the gospel delivered to them. When a person experiences the prompting of the Holy Spirit and by faith responds to the gospel call, they are immediately justified in the courtroom of God. You see, friends, justification is the answer to Job's question. How can a man, how can a woman, how can a boy, how can a girl, how can a teenager... How can someone be made right with God? Justification. You see, justification is God's declaration of righteousness upon the sinner who believes. It's not a declaration of innocence. Rather, it is the rendering of a not guilty verdict despite all the evidence against you because another has taken your place and received the just penalty for your sin. Reminded of what Paul says back in Romans chapter 4, if you'll look back in verse 6 through 8, he quotes David from the Psalms, Romans 4, 6 through 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing, the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Sins covered Sins forgiven. The Lord will not take them into account. How? Justification. I'm trying to illustrate justification. You might like this story. It was told of a man in England who had a Rolls-Royce, and he once put it on a boat to be taken over to the mainland of Europe because he was going to be going on vacation. So he gets to Europe, he gets in his Rolls-Royce, and he begins to drive his Rolls-Royce all over the continent of Europe. And As he's traveling along, there becomes a mechanical issue with his car. So he cables the people back at the Rolls-Royce company in England, and he says, I'm having trouble with my car. What do you suggest that I do? Well, Rolls-Royce, being the reputable company they are, they actually flew a mechanic from England over to the mainland of Europe, and the man fixed the car, and the man went on his holiday. But as you can imagine, the man was left wondering, how much is this going to cost me? So when he got back to England, he wrote the Rolls-Royce people a letter and he asked them, how much do I owe you? A few days went by and he received the following letter in the mail. Dear sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a (laughs) Rolls-Royce. Friends, that's justification. Despite the knowledge of a record of sin, God says, what sin? Justification is an element of the gospel which makes you stop and ponder the wondrous mystery of it all. More so the wondrous mystery of God's love toward us. To think that the holy God of the universe would apply the righteousness of Christ to my account is almost too much for my finite mind to comprehend. But I'll tell you what it leads me to. It leads me to worship. It drives me to my knees as I consider the high price which was paid for my ransom. With all this in mind and and learning about this glorious biblical doctrine of justification over the last few months, we sort of come to the end of a journey in the book of Romans today as we conclude our discussion on justification and launch into the doctrine of sanctification, which we'll begin to look at next week in chapter 6. So I've entitled today's message, A Final Word on Justification. Now, please understand, it is not that we could ever run this well dry. I told you months ago, you could preach on justification for a lifetime and never grow weary of it. However, if we are going to grow in our Christian faith, we must move on from justification and into what justification produces in us. You can maybe say that at some point we have to move on to the next phase of our Christian experience, that which justification specifically creates in us, which is our sanctification. So, So today we come to this last and final word on justification. And in so doing, Paul gives us three final summarizing thoughts. Just three thoughts that he gives to sum up this entire teaching. Number one, number one, justification is only possible when an individual comes to understand their guilt before a holy God. Let me say that one more time so you can write it down. It's up there on your screens. Justification is only possible when an individual comes to understand their guilt before a holy God. We're just going to listen to what one writer said. He said, As for Christians, well, we really have just one thing going for us. We have publicly declared. That we are desperately in need of another to give us his righteousness, to complete us, to live in us. We have publicly and flagrantly abandoned the project of self-justification that is at the heart of every person's compulsion to manage perceptions. This means telling the world before the world does its own investigative journalism that we're not as bad as they think. We're actually worse. But friends, this is not the overall belief of humanity, is it? We say it all the time. Well, well, this man is a good man. Or this woman is a good woman despite their condition apart from Christ. You might remember Paul's indictment back in chapter 3. If you turn back there with me for just a moment. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, where the apostle Paul says, As it is written, there is none righteous not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then Paul goes on to give us this all-encompassing indictment against the human race in 323. All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And then he goes on. We looked at this last week, chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through, sin, through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. He just gets right down into the human heart. And friends, let me remind you that the human heart is wicked above all things. But how do we actually know that's true? How do we know that the human heart is actually wicked? I mean, who gets to to set the bar? Who gets to determine what's sinful and what's not sinful? Well, if you hold an atheistic worldview, you would say that we as humans, we have that right to set our own moral code. Therefore, all morality is either relative to one's culture and experience or it's subjective to one's own opinion about right and wrong. Meaning that you set the bar of your own morality. And at the end of the day, who has the right to declare that any action by you is actually immoral? I mean, after all, if there is no God, then you, you are your own God. And therefore, you get to determine your own moral code and your own ethical standards. However... If there is a God and the Bible declares that there is a God then guess what you don't have that right I would submit to you that that atheism and what it necessarily leads to as it pertains to moral and immoral behavior stems directly from the original temptation that we see in the Garden of Eden you might remember what Satan said in his temptation he says you won't die for God knows the day you eat of that fruit you will be like Him." you see friends We always define sin as missing the mark or, or crossing over a line. And that is absolutely true. Those are the biblical definitions of sin. But I submit to you that all sin is born out of a heart that yearns to sit upon the throne of God. Which leads to this question. Who sits upon the throne of your heart? see, what's interesting to me is that when you consider the temptation in the garden, even Satan recognized the truth of God. Did God really say? God knows the day you eat it, you will be like him. Satan testifies that there's a God. James says the demons believe and they shudder in fear. Dear friends, there is a God. In fact, Romans 1.19 says that which is known about God is evident with them. For God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. Understand today that God has revealed himself in many ways. He's revealed himself to humanity in creation. Friends, you can go outside today and you can look at the beauty of the trees. You can look at the beauty of a flower. You can look up at nighttime at the beauty of the stars and you can see the order of it all and you can know that there is a God. He's he's revealed himself not only through creation, but he's revealed himself through his Word. He's revealed himself through the incarnation of his son. He's revealed himself through the sending forth of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says here in Romans 5.20 that he has also revealed himself through the law. What does it say here in Romans 5.20? The law came in so that the transgression would increase. Now, the Greek word for for came in means to come beside. And this word is used contextually here to give the invitation that the coming in of the law was at an intentional time. You might remember us walking through this verse last week, chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. What did Paul say there? He said, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Meaning, if there is no law, you can't be held accountable. Yet, there must have been some sort of law. For men all over the world, between Adam to Moses, were being held accountable. How do we know? Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. What's Paul saying? Before the giving of the law, sin was present. How do we know? Death reigned. All people were held to account. Yet, without the law, We can never know how sinful we really were. Without knowing how sinful we really were, how could we ever come to the conclusion that we need a Savior? Thus, God gives us the law for one purpose, that the transgression would actually increase. Now, do not misunderstand the text. This is in no way, shape, or form saying that the law was sinful. We know the law is holy and perfect and good, But what the law does is point us to just how sinful we really are. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 5. We'll go through these texts in a few weeks together. But listen to what he says, 7-5. He says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit unto death. He says, that the law actually aroused our sinful passions. It reminds me of the story of the flagship hotel in Houston, Texas. It's built right next to the water. And on the bottom floor, these large glass windows that adorn the dining room. These windows of the dining room constantly are getting broken. They're getting shattered from people who were actually fishing off the balconies above the dining room. So they put these large weights on the fishing line and they throw them out into the water. However, oftentimes those fishing poles don't have enough line. And so like a pendulum, those weights swing down and they crush into the windows and shatter them. The management were getting so aggravated at this, they thought, what can we do in order to stop it? So they went through the hotel and they removed every sign in the hotel that said, no fishing from the balconies. And the windows were safe at last. No more windows were getting broken. You know why? It's because the law always bears fruit in disobedience. The law creates in us these sinful passions. What does he say? Verse 7 through 14. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet but sin taking the opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind for apart from the law sin is dead I once was alive apart from the law but when the commandment came sin became alive and I died and this commandment which was to result in life proved to result in death for me for sin taking an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. You might ask the question, why the law? Listen, the law was actually a graceful act of God in that it highlights our sin. Without the law, you would have no knowledge that you were sinful. Therefore, your sins would continually multiply against you and you would have no idea that you need a remedy. Friends, justification can never happen until you come to the conclusion in your heart that you need a remedy. Justification can never happen until you realize in your heart that you are guilty before a holy God. Justification can never happen until you realize your desperate need for a Savior. One writer said, the purpose of the law is this, if sin, which was already present and disastrously active in mankind, though as yet nowhere clearly visible and defined, were ever to be decisively defeated and sinners forgiven in a way worthy of the goodness and mercy of God, and recreated in newness of life, it was first of all necessary that sin should increase somewhere among men in the sense of becoming clearly manifest. So the law was given in order that the transgression might increase, in order that in one people, for their own sake, and for the sake of all others, sin might be known as sin. When this is realized, it is possible to see that the law, even in its apparently negative and disastrous effects, is for Paul the instrument of the mercy of God. As the offense multiplied, the need for redemption and the sense of that need were only intensified. Friends, if you come to this conclusion in your life, Have you come to the conclusion that you are guilty before a holy God? One preacher said it like this, when I hear your testimony, I'm not as concerned to hear about when you were found as I am concerned to hear when you realized you were lost. Have you ever realized that you're lost? Because until you realize you're lost, you won't ever seek a safety. Justification is only possible when an individual comes to understand their guilt before a holy God. Now that leads to the second point. When you realize your guilt before a holy God and you cry out to him and you're justified, justification magnifies the grace of God to the highest degree. Justification magnifies the grace of God to the highest degree. You might remember that old hymn, Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. Oh, the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the uttermost. Chains have been torn asunder, giving me liberty. Oh, the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus. Deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Higher than the mountain. Sparkling like a fountain. All sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions. Greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. Friends, from, from what fountain does justification flow if not from the fountain of God's immeasurable grace? Taking all of your sin into account, all of your unrighteousness, the filthy rags of your, of your own goodness and comparing this with the holiness of God, how is it that you and I are justified in his sight? What's the grace of God? I want you to listen to some verses from chapter 3, 4, and 5. And listen to the words of Paul as he magnifies this grace of God. Chapter 3, verse 21 through 24. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 16. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it might be in accordance with grace. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. You go on and you look here in chapter 5 and look at beginning in verse number 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one righteous act there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous." The law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Friends, against the darkest of black of backdrops, the shroud of darkness through the evil transgression which has descended upon this fallen world shines the brightest of all lights. Though the transgressions of mankind multiply in the courtroom of God every second of every day the grace of God knows no bounds for it flows forth from an infinite supply freely flowing from the very heart of God what does it say in verse 21 so that as sin reigned in death even so grace would reign in life through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord Friends, don't you love it? This this wonderful chapter, chapter 5, that speaks of the grace of God so eloquently. He starts in verse number 1 by saying, Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The battle is over. The victory has been won. The war has ceased. And he ends this chapter with, Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. He opens and ends the chapters with those words, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul is always pointing us to Jesus. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Nowhere is God's grace on display in greater measure than in God the Father giving forth his son Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Freely, freely gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And for instance, this, this grace of the a father, which, which knows no bounds, was seen in the life of his son. John said in John 1, no one has ever seen God. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him or he has revealed him. This Jesus is the one of whom John would say in John chapter 1 that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Even going so far as to say from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And that just goes on. Grace upon grace upon grace. Grace was exemplified in the giving of the Son and that same grace was seen throughout the life of Christ. But friends, nowhere in the history of humanity has the grace of God ever been more exemplified than on Calvary's cross, where the Lord Jesus Christ in love gave up his life, suffering the wrath of God for you and for me. Have you ever considered that it's me, I deserve the shame, I deserved the suffering, I deserved the nails? I deserved the crown of thorns being pressed in my brow. I deserved the sword. But more than anything, it was me. I deserved the separation from God. I deserved the wrath of God being poured out on me. But one man, one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he bore the shame. He stood in my place and he suffered on my behalf. The nails which were meant for me, he graciously allowed to be driven into his hands and his feet. The crown of thorns which represents the sinfulness of man pressed into his brow, that that precious brow. He became sin for me. The sword in his side, I deserved it, me. The separation, the the chasm, the void that made him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I deserved it all. All the wrath of God being poured out on him was mine. It was due to me, but he stands in my place. He's my substitute. He's my advocate. He's my representative in the courtroom of God. Why? What have I done? Nothing. For friends, if I could just, if I could pay him any amount for this marvelous salvation, guess what? Grace ceases to be grace. And that's the wonder. That's the mystery. That's the the scandal of it all. It makes no sense. It goes against everything inside of us because everything inside of the human heart wants to work our way to him. We want to reconcile ourselves, but Jesus simply says, it is finished. Amen. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Rest. Rest from your labors. Rest from your works. Rest from from trying to fulfill a law rest in me friends that's justification it's coming to rest in the finished work of Christ and that magnifies grace why because grace is a free gift for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves it's the free gift of God lest any man should boast grace is is indeed greater than all of our sin. It superabounds to any and all who come to the cross of Calvary, come to the blood, take a hold of it by faith, take a hold of Christ, and yearn to be reconciled to God. What kind of God is this that He He would actually, that He would actually give away for us to be reconciled to him in our sin. Friends, it's a God who is worthy of our adoration and worthy of our praise. And that leads us to this final point. Justification's work will be on display for all eternity. Justification's work will be on display for all eternity. What does he say there in verse 21? So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Just consider that verse for a moment. Paul gives us this picture of two warring kingdoms. On one side is the kingdom of death or kingdom of sin. And we see its reign every time somebody dies. Every time somebody dies, we see sin sitting upon her grisly throne for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Glory be unto God. On the same day that death entered the picture in the Garden of Eden, God declared there is one coming. There is one coming who will crush the head of the serpent and he will set humanity free. And he comes as the representative of the kingdom of grace, which is standing face to face today with the kingdom of sin. As sin is trying to capture her foes, grace stands. Grace abounds. Grace is rescuing the perishing, plucking them out of hell. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? He says, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ that is coming, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Sins, reign, and death has been swallowed up in victory, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death where is your victory oh death where is your sting now the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ if you were here today and you were a believer death has no dominion over you why because Jesus victoriously rose from the grave, and today, subsequently, death has no dominion over the believer. We have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Romans 5, 2, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Heaven awaits. And what reigns in heaven? Grace. Grace is on display in heaven. Friends, one of my favorite stories of grace in the Bible is found in 2 Samuel. It's the story of a man named Mephibosheth. Some of y'all might be familiar with this story, but Mephibosheth is the grandson of King Saul. He's the son of Jonathan. Mephibosheth truly was the heir to the throne of Israel. However, because of his grandfather's sins, God had stripped the kingdom away from Saul and had given the kingdom to David. Still Mephibosheth was the grandson of the king and for Saul the crown was rightfully his. However on one fateful day the day in which his grandfather Saul and his dad Jonathan would die at the time Mephibosheth was just a little boy and his caregiver put Mephibosheth up on her shoulders and as she ran away from the battle line trying to protect lineage of the king, the Bible says that Mephibosheth fell off of her shoulders and became crippled in both feet. He was taken down to a place called Lodabar. The name meaning of Lodabar is desolate place. And there Mephibosheth lived. Really, he was living in hiding, hoping that David, the new king, would never find him because if he ever found him, it would be customary for David to kill him. So that there would be no revolt to David's kingdom. So nobody would come along and say the kingdom belongs to Mephibosheth. So all of his life, Mephibosheth lives down there in that desolate place called Lodabar. Minding his own business, hoping David never finds out about him. But unbeknownst to Mephibosheth, one day up in Jerusalem, David is seated on his throne. And he calls in his servant Ziba. And he asks Ziba, he says, is there anyone left from Saul's family? That I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. And Ziba said, well, there's still Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. He's living down in Lodabar. He's crippled in his feet. David said, go get him. Now, can you imagine being Mephibosheth? Your whole life, you've lived down in this desolate place. Your whole life, you've been living and hiding, hoping that David never finds you. And one day you're sitting in your house and all of a sudden you hear the rumble of chariots, wheels, and the thundering of horses' feet. And you look out the window and what do you see? You see representative of David's kingdom coming to your house. And fear fills your heart because you know King David knows you're alive. They walk into your house and they say, Mephibosheth, the king has summoned you. And they take Mephibosheth, they put him on the chariot. They ride him back to Jerusalem. They carry him into the king's courtroom, and they lay him down before King David. And Mephibosheth, filled with fear, filled with terror, he cries out to David and says, what would you have to do with a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth, truly fearing for his life, and just then David says, Mephibosheth, you're not going to die today. As a matter of fact, because of Jonathan, your dad, everything that belonged to your grandfather is now yours. And guess what, Mephibosheth? Not only that, but I'm adopting you into my family. And for the rest of your life, you're going to sit at my table and you're going to eat with my sons. And the Bible in 2 Samuel 9:11 closes that chapter like this. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Can't you just see that scene? There's King David, he's seated at the end of the table. And to his right is Absalom. To his left is Solomon. There's Ithraim and Adonijah and Amnon and Tamar. They're all seated at the table. And they're all there because they have the blood of David running through their veins. And they're all waiting for the meal to start, waiting. to to, to have good drink and good food and all that stuff. The door opens to that dining room and here comes old cripple Mephibosheth. He doesn't deserve to be there. He's he's King Saul's grandson. He has no right to be there. But because of David and because of grace and because of Jonathan, he sits at the king's table the rest of his life. Friends, there's a picture of grace. As God the Father in heaven says to the Holy Spirit, is there anybody left that I can show kindness to because of my son Jesus? And the Holy Spirit says, well, there's still James. There's still Mike. There's still Todd. There's still Jana. still Megan they're still Brian they're still rusty they're still Tucker they're still Zach he's down in Lodabar down in that desolate place he's crippling both feet he's a sinner God says go get him and don't you remember that day when the Holy Spirit if you're a believer began to call you how immediately when you realize your guilt before a holy God terror gripped your soul because you knew you were lost You knew you were undone, and you knew you were being summoned to stand before the God of eternity. And how could you ever stand in his courtroom and be justified in your own merits? You can't. And so you fall on your face before the God of heaven, and you say, What do you have to do with a dead dog like me? Knowing the just penalty is condemnation. Knowing the just penalty is death. And just then, the voice of the Father comes back and says, you're not going to die today. As a matter of fact, because of Jesus, everything that belongs to Him is now yours. You're a co-heir with Christ. Because I've adopted you into my family, and for all eternity, you're going to eat at my table. And can't you see that scene in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb as Jesus sits down upon his throne and to his right are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Joshua, and Ruth, and Esther, and Ezra, and Malachi. And Elijah and Elisha and Micah and Habakkuk and Haggai and to his left is Peter, James, John, Andrew, Nathaniel Paul, Aristarchus, Timothy, Silas, Barnabas. They're all gathered there in the throne room, all awaiting the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then you look over to your left and here you come, in both feet. You don't have any right to be there. What did you do to earn a seat at this table? You did nothing. But you know what's amazing? Nobody looks at you as if you shouldn't be there. You know why? Because every one of those men sitting around that table and every one of those women seating around that table, they realize the same thing. We're crippled on our feet too. If it weren't for Christ, we wouldn't be seated at this table. And that's why the Bible says in chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 11, that I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them were myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven And on the earth and under the earth and under the sea, all things in them I heard them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the living creatures, the four creatures and the elders, they fell down, they said amen, and they worshiped. For all eternity, justifications work will be on full display as those of us who have been redeemed by the blood seated at the table only there by grace. And he's worshiped and praised forevermore. The question becomes for everyone in this room, will you be seated at that table? Will you be there? You'll only be there if you realize your guilt before a holy God. When you realize your guilt before a holy God, grace is magnified in your life. And you have the hope that one day you'll be seated at the table with him for all eternity. And that's only through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in the empty tomb that makes it possible. Oh, have you ever been reconciled to God? Have you ever been saved? Have you ever been justified? We want to give you that opportunity. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Brother Caleb and the praise team are going to come back to sing one more song. And we'll close our service. But as always, we always give an invitation to come to Christ. We don't take for granted that there could be somebody here today that's never put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we always want to give an opportunity to be saved. I'm just wondering, anybody at all today would raise their hand and say, Pastor, as you talked about justification today, You talked about being guilty before a holy God. You talked about all those things. I recognize in my life I've never been saved. But for the very first time today, I want to give my life to Christ. Would you just raise your hand? Anybody at all would say, I need to be saved today? Anybody? Anybody at all need to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ? We trust that all hearts are clear in the room today. And we're going to ask you to stand to your feet as we sing this wonderful hymn of invitation at the cross where his love ran red. I'm right here at the front. If you need to be saved, you come take me by the hand. You say, Pastor, I need to be saved. Brother Caleb, let's just sing one verse, one chorus, and then we'll close. This opportunity is for you. This is your invitation. This is your call to come to Christ. Come, and the Lord leads you to come
1: a place where mercy reigns and-
0: God, for each of you. Listen, don't forget, if you would like to go on that Israel trip with Brian Johnson, you just stay right here in the sanctuary. He'll begin that meeting uh, as quickly and as promptly as possible when he feels that everybody's in the room that would like an opportunity to go. If you've never been to Israel, I promise you it'll be a life-changing experience for you. The Bible just comes alive. And no better person to go on that trip with than Brian Johnson, I promise you that. So to stay after if you'd like more information on that. Uh, secondly, if you're a visitor, please swing by that Connections tent. Let us know of your uh, being here today. People always want to know how to give to Flat Creek. You can give online, flatcreekchurch.net, or give on your way out the doors. The ushers will be there to greet you. Friends, what a great day it's been today. Don't forget uh, budget meeting tonight at 5 p.m. If you'd like to come out to that. Uh, but other than that, let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you so much for being here today. If I hadn't told you lately, I want you to know how much I love you. Each and every one of you means so much to me, Flat Creek, and I love you with all my heart. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the day. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of being in your presence, uh, the joy of singing worship and preaching the word. And thank you for each and every individual that's here today. And I pray, Father, as we go from this place, that we might take the message of justification with us. We might share the gospel with those in need. God, we might go out and find people that have never come to the conclusion that they need a savior, and that we'd be bold in our proclamation, bold in our invitation to come to Christ. In any and all things, Lord, we just want to magnify, glorify your name. Everything we do here is all about you. It's not about us. As we say all the time, if somebody walks out of the door today and says, what a great worship leader, What a great children's director, what a great piano player, what a great choir, what a great preacher. We have failed. We want them all to leave with one thing in their hearts. What a great God because all we seek to do, Lord, is just magnify your name. It's not about us, a little less about me, a lot more about you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and say these things in your precious holy name. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're gonna encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net.
2: Jesus is the pattern in the life of every single believer for every aspect of life in relationship to God the father obedience in relationship to others love in relationship to things he always used those to the glory of the heavenly father even in those battles in life that he had to face he is your pattern in mind in facing the conflicts and battles in life now once in a while we say well Jesus is the pattern of anything somebody says well But wasn't he God, and didn't that make him an exception? No, because not only was he God, but he was also the God-man. That is, Jesus Christ was God clothed in human, sinless flesh, which meant that he felt the same things we feel. He hurt just like we hurt, and he felt the same kind of pain that we feel. And so when we think about him being a pattern, the area in life that I want us to deal with in this message is the battles that Jesus fought. And how he fought them and how he won them. And the title of this message is Where the Battle is Won. And I want us to go to the most crucial pivotal point in Christ's life when it comes to battles and see how he won that crucial battle, the most crucial of all. And it is found in the 26th chapter of Matthew beginning in verse 36. So if you'll turn there and let's read that beginning in the 36th verse. And let me give you a little background of what's happening. You recall that Jesus has been with his disciples in the upper room and they've been experiencing the Passover and a number of things have gone on. It's been a very confusing...
1: And all of the ground is sinking sand so stomp your feet and clap your hands my feet are on the rock on Christ the side rock i stand all of the ground is sinking sand so stomp your feet and clap your hands my feet are on the rock on Christ the side rock i stand all of the ground is sinking sand so stomp your feet and clap your hands my feet are on the rock Little girl asked me, What does God look like? I smiled and laughed a little, leaned over for a kiss, said, Baby, I don't know, but I can tell you this. I've been to the ocean and I've stood on a mountain, I've seen a sunset. Stared up will take your breath away, but I've also found His glory shining from within, the heart of a sinner that's just been born again. Cause I've been to the river, watched souls going under, forgiveness washed them clean, He's brought me through And I know 97.5
0: Ninety-seven-five Glory FM, North Georgia's Southern Gospel Music Station. 75 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia. Hey, everybody.